So today we're going to start a little journey through the Sermon on the Mount. We're going to start today, I've just titled today's message, Kingdom Good News. And uh, we're going to devote a week on each of these so-called Beatitudes. But today I want to focus on the thing, the whole thing, that we're going to put it out there and then we're going to break it into parts as we go through. And then we'll hopefully put it all back together again. But to do so, we need to ask ourselves about five questions. Uh, one question is this, what are the Beatitudes? Another question is, uh, do these Beatitudes uh, spell out conditions we need to meet in order to inherit eternal life? Uh, a third question could be, uh, do they celebrate God's power in the life of his disciples? Uh, question number four is, is it all three that I just mentioned? Or number five, how do we know which questions he's asking? Now, we're going to begin today with this structure of the book of Matthew. And if you've got Bibles, open them up or on your phone. We're going to kind of stick in, in these verses. But we're going to look at the structure. And we're going to begin back really in Matthew 4, verse 23. It's kind of a summary statement of Jesus' earthly ministry. And here Matthew says, And he, that's Jesus, went throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. Now, one way to restate that is to say that Jesus really kind of had a threefold ministry. He was there to preach the coming of the kingdom, talking about what's going to happen at some point. He's going to, uh, he's going to teach the way of the kingdom, and he also is going to demonstrate the purpose and the power of the kingdom, and he does that by all the healing that he does, particularly the sick people. So if we, we lump those three words together, preaching, teaching, and healing, they were, as uh, Matthew says later in chapter 9, verse 34, Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages doing what? Teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. Now, in your Bible, sandwich, sandwich between these three descriptions of Jesus, uh, we see two major sections. Chapters 5, 6, and 7 is a collection of Jesus' teaching that's called the Sermon on the Mount, which is what we're going to take a look at, and chapters 8 and 9, which is a collection of stories about his healing ministry. So what we really have here is a, is a five-chapter unit, even though we're going to focus on one chapter, but there's a five-chapter unit designed by Matthew to present us with two major topics. Uh, first is the teaching of the Lord concerning the way of the kingdom. What the, what's the kingdom look like? And second, some healings and miracles to demonstrate the power of the kingdom. And the value of seeing it this way is it warns us against treating any little piece of this section in isolation. And I say that because it's pretty easy sometimes in Scripture to take a verse or a word and spend so much time on it, you kind of forget why that word or that verse was in context in the rest of that passage or in the rest of that book or indeed in the rest of God's word. So we're going to start here with the Jesus who teaches and heals. And one thing we must say right off the bat is you cannot have the Jesus of the Sermon on the Mount without the Jesus who uh, cleansed the leper and healed the centurion servant and cast out uh, this, uh, still the storm and cast out demons. Now, why is that so? 
Well, it's because of what some people in our culture still try to do today. Namely, they really love and admire the ethical teachings of Jesus. Oh, Jesus, he was a wonderful teacher. Uh, and we love this Sermon on the Mount, but they don't want to get involved with the spooky Jesus. <laughs> you know, the spooky Jesus who still storms and casts out demons. Or sometimes there are people in our society today who have a great fascination with Jesus' miracles. They love those miracles. Oh, great story. Pastor, tell us more about those miracles. But when it comes to that same Jesus who said, don't call your brother a fool or don't lust or don't get divorced or don't swear or don't return evil for evil, love your enemy. Well, (laughs) they kind of like the miracle worker. They don't like somebody who's going to mess in their lives. And so that's the problem. And see, Matthew's point here is that the Jesus who teaches like this on the Sermon on the Mount is the same Jesus who calls us to follow him through life and depend upon his power. In other words, his personal work and power are inseparable from his teaching. You can't have one without the other. You can't just be, oh, tell me another healing story. Okay, let's connect it with his teaching. Oh, tell me about his teaching. Well, we get to connect it with his miracles. That's what it says. Well, let's go to the crowd that was gathered that day. Matthew 5, verse 1. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him, and he opened his mouth and taught them, saying. Now, I'm going to stop with that little word, them, because I think it's probably the inner circle of his disciples, the 12 disciples we're talking about here. But if you look at the end of the sermon, go all the way to the end, chapter 7, verses 28 and 29, it says, And when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were also astonished at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. So it's very clear, even as Jesus gathered, let's say, the 12 disciples in front of him, everybody else behind him is all listening in. They want to know what's going on. And so with the 12 gathered at the feet of Jesus, listening in, what does he do? He begins by pronouncing a certain kind of person fortunate. Now, that word fortunate is not in the Bible. In fact, the word we use for fortunate today is not really found in the Bible. Uh, we call them what? The Beatitudes. Now, you might have a Bible where it has a little heading in there that says the Beatitudes. Now, that's not really in Scripture. But Beatitudes comes from a Latin word that just means happiness or blessedness. And so we're going to take a look at how all of these kind of fit together and they'll help us understand as we go through them individually. Now, first of all, the Beatitudes of verses 3, 4, 5, all the way through 10 are a unit when you look at them. And, and the first and the eighth, and if you look at verse 3, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. But then notice verse 10, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. They both have an identical promise, beginning and end, and more of them in between. The other six are sandwiched between those promises. Verse 4, they will be comforted. Verse 5, they will inherit the earth. Uh, Verse 6, they will be satisfied. Verse 7, they shall receive mercy. Verse 8, they will see God. Verse 9, they will be called sons of God. But notice that these are promises for the future. They shall be comforted. They shall inherit the earth. They shall be satisfied 
and on and on. But the promises of the first and the last beatitude in verses 3 and 10 really relate to the present. The disciples are assured that theirs is the kingdom of God. Now, if you go through and you explore this even deeper, you've got to kind of ask yourself a question. What's the meaning of this? That's all kind of interesting. What's the meaning of it? Let me give you a couple of things. First of all, it's the blessings of the kingdom. So by sandwiching six promises in between two assurances shows that such people have the kingdom of heaven. You want the kingdom of heaven? Read this section. Work it out. It's right there. In other words, these six things are what you can count on when you are part of God's kingdom. I didn't listen to the entire sermon that Nancy was listening to on the television this morning, but the guy was talking about discipleship, right? Teaching people who Jesus is so they can do what? Tell other people about Jesus and and tell them about the blessings that are there. So there's these blessings of the kingdom. You, You don't have to pick and choose. They all belong to the kingdom. Jesus says, theirs is. Uh, And he ends with the assurance, theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Second thing, there's a present yet future kingdom. We really live in God's kingdom today, but guess what? There's another kingdom coming. If it isn't, we've got to scratch something out of the Lord's prayer. Thy kingdom come. We pray about that. Uh, But verses 3 and 10, theirs is the kingdom of heaven. But then in verses 4 4 to 9, it says, they shall be comforted. They shall inherit the earth. This is Jesus' way of saying, in some sense, the kingdom of heaven is present with the disciples now. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. But the full blessings of the kingdom will have to wait. They shall inherit the earth. And so the point is that the kingdom of heaven is both a present and a future reality. Now, I think that's why 3 and 10 assure us that theirs is the kingdom of heaven, but verses 4 and 9 say, here's the blessings you get in the interim. And yet, some of you are probably thinking, well, couldn't it be both? Couldn't it be both? And this is, the one, I think, one of the most important things you can, you can learn about the Christian faith. Without this insight, the Sermon on the Mount simply cannot be understood. It is now, but it's forever. For example... Uh, what are you going to make of Matthew 5, verse 7, without this insight that the kingdom of blessings of God's mercy are both present and future? It says, blessed are the merciful, for they what? Shall receive mercy. Does this mean God withholds mercy from us until judgment day? That's kind of what it looks like, what it says. But if you know the gospel, if you know the good news about Jesus, you know that the kingdom has already come. Now we pray, thy kingdom come. Well, it's, it's already come. Thy will be done. We're looking for a future kingdom. But now he's at work gathering people. That's what we're about, to bring people into his kingdom. And if you know that the power of the kingdom is always present as well as future, then you're going to know that becoming merciful is right now the work of God's mercy. Is God merciful to you today? Was he merciful to you yesterday? Will he be merciful to you in a year, God willing? Yeah. Have you had difficult times lately? Yeah. Did he show you mercy in any of that? Yeah. Have any of you, you have felt particularly lousy in the last couple of weeks and months? 
And yet here you are today. Has he been merciful to you? Oh, man. Mercy upon mercy upon mercy. And see, the mercy of the kingdom, if we proclaim it to people, draws people to open their eyes and consider who Jesus really is. I don't know if you remember what Jesus said to Peter. Uh, Jesus asked him one time, Peter, who do you say that I am? And Peter, oh, you're the Christ, the Son of the living God. (laughs) He rattled it off. He he quoted his confirmation verse or whatever. But what Jesus said back to him was, Blessed are you, uh, um, Simon Bar-Jonah, for the flesh and blood has not revealed this to you. In other words, you don't know the answer to the question, except that my Father in heaven told you. So we understand this. God was not waiting to see if Peter would recognize him as the Messiah. He opened Peter's eyes. Flesh and blood is not revealed as to you, Peter. God is the one who reveals his mercy to us. Remember, you didn't choose him. He chose you. Uh, you, all of you, me. We did not come to him. He drew us by the power of the Spirit to himself. We didn't necessarily recognize him first, but God opened our eyes. And all of that you can sum up with one little word, mercy. Mercy. Paul says in Romans 9:16, it depends not on human will or exertion, but on God who has, guess what? Mercy. Mercy, right there. So there are a lot of passages in Scripture that teaches that God will show mercy on us in the future if we live a certain way right now. But many other passages say that God has already shown us mercy, enabling us to live in a certain way also right now. And these are not inconsistent. This is the very fabric of living the biblical life. See, you and I uh, were born anew by God's mercy. I don't know how you entered the kingdom of God. Now, I'm one of those people, you know, baptized as an infant. That's kind of who I was raised. That's how I got into the kingdom. Now, I realize that later in life you go through a process called confirmation. Some of you went through that. And again, you said, yeah, I'm signing up for this deal. Some of you had an aha road to Damascus experience. Some of you kind of oozed into it. (laughs) You're like, i got to explore this. Oh, this kind of makes sense. And you just kind of, oh, one day you kind of went, whoa. This is, this is it. I, okay, I understand this. And all the way, the Holy Spirit is either nudging you, pushing you, kicking you, dragging you, <laughs> whatever, to, to move into this, this thing, into this relationship. Uh, we, we did not recognize Jesus first. We go, oh, there's, oh, no, Jesus opened our eyes so we could actually see him. And all of that, again, is that little word, mercy. Paul says in Romans 9.16, it depends not on human will or exertion, but on God who has mercy. Now, you and I are just born that way. Um, he's going to say someday when we stand before him in heaven, or at the judgment, um, he's going to say, Becky, you know something? You're still a sinner. But I see in your life the distinguishing fruit of God's mercy, my son's mercy. And your mercy shown to other people is evidence of his mercy that lives in you. And for his sake, I'm going to show you mercy one more time. Come on into my kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. And he can say that to each and every one of you guys. See, unless you see the Beatitudes as kind of part of this biblical fabric 
uh, you're not going to be able to understand them for what they are. They are an announcement of how very, very, very fortunate people are who already possess, as it were, the power of the kingdom. Now we go, you know, we're not a really very big church. <laughs> Guess what? There's a lot of power in this room. We have the power of the kingdom here. And if it's only five people helping at a camp, then guess what? The power of God is still here. If Jeff shows up on a Tuesday and only one other person comes, guess what? The power of God is here. You go home and you say a prayer before you eat your meal. Guess what? The power of God is there. When you wear a hat that says, Pastor, <laughs> warning, anything can you say or do can be used in this sermon. Well, guess what? The power of God is working through that. Thank you. Through that. Yeah, you got that right. So, all of that, they're just announcements that we need to make to people that they are truly blessed, very fortunate, but that's not all. They also have this great and wonderful invitation to become these kind of people. As we go through the Beatitudes, some of you are going to look at him and go, well, that's not me. Well, he's invited you to become a person like that. Uh, and he says, really, how fortunate you are, my dear brothers, how fortunate you are, all of you, to be chosen by God. To have your eyes opened. Uh, to you to be drawn to the Savior. Uh, to be poor. To be mourning. To be meek. To be hungry. Uh, to be merciful, to be pure, to be peaceable. Just simply, friends, rejoice and give thanks that you're that kind of person. For it's not your own doing. What? You got nothing to do with me? Right. It has nothing to do with you. It is the reign of God in your life through the presence of the Holy Spirit. So, the disciples here... Here the Beatitudes as words of celebration. Wow, this is really great. There's celebration about the work of God in their lives. That's why you get together and worship and do what? You celebrate. You celebrate the work of God in your life and as it manifests itself out elsewhere. But what about the crowd standing behind the disciples? We don't have any video of that. Not on Facebook. I've not seen a, a, you know, a, any blog about it. How did they how did they hear these words of congratulation? What was going on in their hearts and minds? How should they hear them if they are not what poor in spirit? If they are not mourning or meek or hungry for righteousness or merciful or pure or peaceable? I mean, how can you hear the words of Jesus without being that way? I'm enjoying looking at the Beatitudes. I hope we do it over the next number of weeks, too. But the Beatitudes are just words of celebration for people like us. They really are. People who have been awakened by the very present power of the ages to come. They're just words of invitation to the crowds. They're invitations to people who come and worship out of tradition. And a lot of people, they show up Sunday after Sunday. Why? Well, that's what I always do. Uh, people who come from tradition or maybe they're, they're coming for another reason. Um, but however they come, curiosity, skepticism. But for some, 
These words are just amazing words of transformation by the power and the mercy of God. I have one last question for you. What are they to you? That's all I got to say.